0: After 1 Corinthians 12, Paul takes us to a deeper level in that last chapter that we spent so much time on in understanding what wonderful capabilities and abilities that God has given us to minister to one another. Paul ends that chapter with a very significant sentence, and the sentence says this, Yet, I will show you a more excellent way. And with an entire chapter, he proceeds to teach us of the centrality of love. Of the difference love makes. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The witness of our life is that love makes all the difference whether it be in a Shakespearean sonnet or it be in a biblical chapter, our experience of love is central. When
1: in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes I all alone beweep my outcast state and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries and, and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope, and, and with what I most enjoy contented least. Yet, in these thoughts, myself almost despising, happily, I think on thee, And then my state, like to the lark at the break of day, arising from sullen earth, sings sweet hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered, such pleasure brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings.
0: In the 29th sonnet of Shakespeare, there is a lesson that the difference love makes by addition yet in these thoughts almost despising myself I think on thee for with that sweet love remembered brings such wealth that then I scorn to change my state with kings love added makes all the difference. But love subtracted makes all the difference also. Love's absence makes all the difference also. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give everything for the poor, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits nothing. Why would Paul, after the exaltation of showing what God had given us in ability, in capacity, in the Holy Spirit, start with such an abrupt And sobering note when it comes to love I'll tell you why because he knew us God knows us and God knows that we tend to overestimate the value of our ability and we tend (laughs) to overestimate the value that others will place on our ability hi joy welcome back from Texas I heard a cute story this week sent to me by a computer guy that illustrates the point. Guy gets out of college. He's an engineer, big college, good grades, wonderful ability. Goes in for his first job interview. The interview's going fine. They get to the end of the interview, and the interviewer says, "Well, what are you looking for uh, in the realm of salary?" And uh, and the uh, The candidate says, Well, I'm thinking maybe a neighborhood of $120,000 a year, depending on your benefits package. The interviewer leans forward. He says, What do you think of this? What do you think of five weeks of vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental, matching retirement funds, and a company car? The candidate leans forward and says, Are you joking? The guy says, yeah, but you started it. (laughs) We tend to overestimate the value that others place on our ability. We tend to overestimate our own ability itself. And then Paul goes into a passage, a number of verses that begin to describe the quality of love, and if you really read these carefully, you begin to sink down in your chair. He says this, love is patient, is kind. It's not jealous or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. Love doesn't get provoked. It doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't take into account a wrong done itself. Love never rejoices in the wrong. It only rejoices in the right. And then he says, love bears all things, believes all things. endures all things now watch why would he begin right after telling us the devastating effect of the absence of love and then go on to the almost impossible character of love almost impossible to achieve character of love why would he begin that passage with love is patient and in that passage, with love endures all things. I'll tell you why. Because he knows that in life you get knocked around. Used lives are crumpled lives. He knows the character of this world. He knows the character of living Christ. He knows the character of actually using your spiritual gifts and your ability for ministry. And any time you do that, you're going to receive a negative reaction from the world because for every action, there's an equal and positive or equal and opposite reaction. And so anybody who is doing anything, in a positive sense, will receive negative. And our nature in receiving something negative is to give something negative back. That's why he has to say, wait, 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 love's not arrogant or rude. Love's not arrogant or rude. When our lives get crumpled, we get hurt. We get hurt. But you've got to understand something about crumpled lives. I heard a story, true story, read it, about a man who, now grown, was, was, was going through some pictures with his mother, old family pictures. Now, this man's father's biological father, had died when he had just turned one year old. The story of the father was that soon after the birth of the child, he had contracted lumbar polio, And some of you are old enough to remember that during those olden days, those folks with that particular ailment, they would put into what was called an iron lung. There was so much fear of the contagion of this disease that hardly anybody would go into that room. People were as afraid of that back then as they are of age today. And so hardly anybody would go into that room. And so... For months of an agonizing death, this man had only his wife to talk to. Now, as they were going through these pictures, and as this man, uh, I'm sorry, the son, was looking through these pictures, he found one baby picture of his, he recognized it, and it was all crumpled up. And he looked at his mom and he said, Mama, why did you keep this picture? You've got so many nice, smooth pictures. Why did you keep this picture? And his mom said, Honey, when you were a baby, I couldn't bring you in to see your dad. I was too afraid. But your dad, laying on his back and looking only at a mirror, could see this one spot on the iron lung. And I jammed this picture in between two knobs so that he could watch you every day. I want to tell you something. I know that many of you have a crumpled life. But a crumpled life is the one that your father is watching. It just means that it's the one that's used. It's the character of the world to get a crumpled life. It's the character of living that crumples our life. But that makes it all the more valuable. What we've got to learn is not to crumple back. This week, when I was watching the uh, uh, television, I just only, practically only watched the news, and and I just caught something out of the kind of corner of my ear. I didn't even watch it on TV that there was some big flap at Tig Middle School about some Christian kids who had put on a, a convocation there, and Everybody's all upset about it. And as soon as I heard it, I didn't hear any details, didn't hear any names, just knew that Northland kids would be right in the middle of that. Sure enough, (laughs) they're the ones that did it. Now I want to tell you, I I got two senses about that. I have two things to say about that. First of all, I'm glad. I don't know all of the details, but I do know that if you're acting on your faith at all, sooner or later you're going to trouble somebody. It's just part of it. And if you're talking at all about Jesus, sooner or later somebody's going to get mad. And you never talk to him to make people mad, and you never want to insist only on your own way. Uh, You never want to be arrogant or rude or provoking. But neither do you want to just kind of not do anything at all. I had a football coach one time taught me a very valuable lesson. He got, uh, there was there's, there's this guy running down the field, I mean made a, like an 80-yard touchdown, got called all the way back for clipping. And we thought this was a rough coach, boy. We thought, man, this guy is going to get it. This guy that clipped is going to get it when he comes to the sideline. They came to the sideline at halftime. The coach looked at all of us and said, boys, I want to tell you something. He said, you will never see me scold somebody for getting called for clipping. I never expect any of you to clip intentionally. But anybody who gets called for clipping is at least trying to block somebody. They're not standing out in the middle of the field with their finger up their nose. They're doing something. And I love that. Well, it's the same way with Christianity. Just about any time you get into trouble for being a Christian, at least you're doing something. Nobody should 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 ever get on you about that. So that's okay. But watch. The response after you've been crumpled is so important. You've got to remember that love is patient and kind. It's not arrogant. It's not jealous or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't provoke. It doesn't remember a wrong suffered. And so, you can't go into your natural state and puff up like an adder and spit venom because it's so important to return love. It's so important. The attitude is every bit as important as the capability. You understand? That's what Paul is saying. The heart is every bit as important as the mouth. Every bit as important as the mind. Now, how do we get there? How do we return? Because that's not our natural state. You understand? Uh, If you have your scriptures with you, just let me do something that Orlando did last night. I love this. I love this. Orlando said... I, t- I tell you the character here. It's a transcendent character of love. I want you to, in, in every place in that middle section where it says the word love, I want you to just to substitute the word Jesus. And you should have no problem at all. And so everybody kind of repeated, well, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful. Jesus is not arrogant or rude Jesus is not provoked. Jesus does not take into account a wrong suffered. No problem, is there? Now, instead of substituting the word Jesus for love, substitute the personal pronoun, I. I am patient. Anybody want to quit there because they know where this is heading? (laughs) Yeah, you don't have to go very far (laughs) to see the difference in nature's. And so what do you do about that? You go to the other nature. You get a transfusion, which is exactly what we got this morning. You know, when Greg sang, oh, that song, I couldn't even preach it for service. You can have all the world. Just give me Jesus. Every resource in this world will not get you to where you want to be. but only Christ does that. Only Christ in us. And so, that's why we must understand that this, this, is, this whole chapter is so important, that God is the one that gives us that love. It's not our nature. It's God's nature living in us. It's no longer I who live, Paul said, but Christ who lives in me and so the transfusion, and so the transformation. That's what we have to look for. And then the Bible goes on, and with the last section, it explains the eternity of this love. And it says, you know, love never fails. Some of your versions say love never ends. Prophecy will, will uh, fade away and... and Tongues will cease and knowledge will go away. Because when we teach, we only teach in part. When we prophesy, we only, we only prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect goes away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see in a mirror dimly. The Greek word here is the word from which we get enigmatic. It is enigmata, and it means in a riddle, um, f- in a foggy sense. In uh, the 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 Hebrew uh, parallel word means in dark speeches, in speeches that you can just you can just barely hear the meaning the depth it doesn't mean inaccurate it means indirect when jesus talked in parables he didn't talk inaccurately he taught the truth indirectly and so paul is saying that the way we fathom god in the world many times is indirect They didn't have silvered glass until the 13th century, and the best they could do was just see themselves in some some vague reflection. And he says, you know, that's, that's really usually how we experience God, in a very indirect way. But then he taught us a valuable lesson. He said, so faith, hope, and love, these three endure, but the greatest of these is love. Let me tell you something about heaven that you already know if you just stop and think about it. In heaven, you won't need faith. Your faith is realized. In heaven, you won't need hope. All your hopes come true. But in heaven, there will always be love. That's what's eternal. We can't get off track and begin to believe that ministry is about activity. We can't get off track and start to believe that the family of God is about buildings somewhere. Somebody wrote me a kind of a reproving letter this week, as usually happens. They were somebody who had been to the Christmas Eve service. They were so upset about how much money had been spent on that. And you know what, I can understand that. I really can. Because from time immemorial, there have been voices that have said, couldn't you be more practical about things? You spent all of that money just so that people could be together. When we could have built a building, we could have funded a ministry, (laughs) we could have done lots. I understand that. And I even sympathize with it to a degree. I understand that even from impractical people who have said, I just can't believe that it's all that important for people to be together because their lives have been a record of failed relationships. And so they don't count the idea of being together as all that important. They're too ready to go out and do, because you can control what you can do. But let me tell you something very important. There is nothing more important or long-lasting than us being together. You want a glimpse of eternity? The only glimpse that you have of eternity, of things that will not fail, is when you turn and you look at the Christian beside you, they will be with you forever. Forever. <laughs> the only thing that lasts is us. Us. We can go into building programs, and we will. And they'll be needed, and they'll be fruitful But if the Lord tarries hundreds of years from now, those buildings are going to collapse. We we can sing the wonderful worship songs that we have and they can prophesy to us and bring the voice of God into our hearts. But worship songs only have a little bit of a shelf life and pretty soon they get old and stale. We can listen to messages. And if you take notes eventually you'll see that the knowledge used in those messages fades. Only the Word of God stands forever, and only His people live forever. There is nothing more important than us being together. That is the glimpse of eternity. And one more thing, when you love, Not only are you experiencing that which lasts forever, but also you're experiencing the presence of the Father in ways that you can at no other time. I heard a neat story. I'll close with this. I heard a neat story uh, about a guy. This is a true story also. A guy who loved his family like crazy. And and they were all planning on going uh, out west together. But something came up at his work, and he didn't feel like he could leave. And so the family was very disappointed, but he he didn't want them to experience that disappointment. So he sat down with his wife and with his kids, and he plotted out this trip, and he made sure they had all of the supplies that they needed and every leg of this trip, he said, okay, now you, here you'll drive here, and here you'll see this, and on this, on this day, you'll go from this stretch of the road to this stretch of the road, and here's what you'll see, and, and so on and so forth. And, and when the time came, the mom and the kids started out in the station wagon and went on that trip. A week later, he couldn't stand it any longer. <laughs> he knew where they would be. He had plotted their journey. And so he hopped a plane flew to the nearest city, rented a car to take him to this certain spot along a certain road. The car let him out. He sat down on top of his suitcase and waited. And about an hour later, he saw his family station wagon coming up the road, and he just got up and stuck out his thumb. Is that one of the coolest stories you've ever heard in your life? You know what? Our Father has planned our journey. He knows every leg. And when we're together, even just two or three of us, He's there. Pray with me. God, thank you (laughs) for letting us love one another. Thank you that our way of loving is not the only resource we have. But your divine nature can be in us as we continue to get the transfusions that we need to become not only conformed to the image of Christ, but transformed by that image. Help us to love better and better, more and more, closer and closer, every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.